Thank you for joining us today. Uh, welcome to our Thursday after lunch uh, IT webinar series. Today, we're going to be talking about database DevOps, transforming the government amid uh, COVID-19. And it always feels like every time I get live, I'm like going up a roller coaster, and now I'm going down the roller coaster. So I'm really excited about this. We've got uh, a really uh, a good panel today for you. I want to welcome all the attendees taking time out of your afternoon. Uh, a special thanks to Joni Thomas, Steve Jones, Hank Prokop, and the rest of the Redgate team. They've been a great partner, and uh, they've thank you for helping us with this and putting this together, this panel. Uh, so what we plan on doing this afternoon is we're going to hear from our panelists. We're going to have Q&A. Uh, we, we're going to have some polls. Uh, so we want you on your game because sometimes these polls actually make their way uh, to the press and get published. So they, they, they've turned out to be pretty, in, pretty important. So I'd like to quickly introduce our panelists. Um, first, we have Raven Manuel, Senior Application Developer, DevOps Engineer. And while she works for the Smithsonian Institution, she actually works for the National Museum of American History and Culture. Welcome today, Raven. We got you on. I think you're on mute. Yeah, you tried to unmute me. <laughs> it's always a challenge. I love you, I love your little set there. That's actually not real. That's a real set. It looks like, uh, you know, you read a lot it's, of books and it, it, it's perfectly done. <laughs> it's my office. <laughs> great, great. Well, welcome. Uh, Next, we'll have with us uh, Michael Gardner, who is the, he works at the uh, United States Department of Agriculture and the, uh, the Bureau of Rural Development. Uh, Michael, thank you for coming today. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it. Um, no, this will be a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. I love the whiteboard in the back. Is that your, are you at work or is that your home office? I, I'm a big whiteboard person. That is my home office. Uh, my, uh, my, my wife has relegated me to the basement because <laughs> I'm loud. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you're taking full advantage of that. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, we have with us Steve Jones uh, with Redgate. How are you doing Hi. this afternoon, uh, Steve? Good, good, Tom. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm looking forward to this. And, and it, is it good morning for you, or are you one hour behind us? Uh, I think you're out of Texas, right? Colorado, so two hours, yeah. So Colorado, it's, uh, two hours. Pre-lunch for me. <laughs> so it's good morning to you. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's kind of get things going. I want to ask each of you about the work that you're that you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, and uh, then we're going to follow up with some questions. But I want to get everybody's story out there. Maybe we can start with you, Raven, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Um... Thank you again, once again. Um, I am the uh, primary, the principal developer in-house for the um, interactives for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I'm also the DevOps um, engineer, the lead for the, the team lead for that. And um, what I've been working, I've been working on a whole lot of things. One of my passions is accessibility actually. And so I'm working with a group in um, the National Center of Atmospheric Research in Boulder. Um, and we are working on an accessibility app, um, which is kind of exciting using um, augmented reality. I'm also working on um, the transition of some of our interactives from being in on-premise inside the gallery to um, being on the web. So that's one of the things that COVID has introduced into our lives is trying to figure out how to get a lot of the interactives that one, that you have to touch um, so that they're not tactile and two, how to get them based on the web. Um, for DevOps, I am actually trying, I am um, looking at our lessons learned and putting together a new strategy because um, it's gotta work with um, my interactives, like how I develop applications there and for, int and for the, um, our operations team. So it's been exciting um, and trying to do this all from home. Yeah, how do you do that collaboration? Because these interactives are, are quite fascinating because people are walking in the museum and they, yeah. they're, not, they're not, it's, it's how do you interact and you worry about touch and, and those kinds of things. What, how do you whiteboard that out when everybody's remote and, and how are you actually working uh, this innovative pro projects that you're working on? So 
our team, the, the web development team and the development teams for our museum are already remote. So we were already um, dis disparate and like distributed across the United States. And so working remotely is, is our norm. That's what we normally would do. Um, working with the team in um, Boulder has been kind of interesting because I actually won one of their um, visiting scholars. So I was actually supposed to go there um, and that, uh, that's not happening. So we, myself and the co-developer, we're using Zoom um, for our sprints and our scrums and our sprint planning meetings, um, along with the other tools that we use for agile development. Um, and so it's not that, I, I, didn't, I think as a developer, we, we're not impacted that much when we have to work um, remotely, um, because a lot of the work we do is to ourselves and then we just have to check in with each other so it hasn't been too hard um, with me it it becomes harder when you're working with across other teams within the museum who are used to being in the building and it, yeah. it kind of it's not working well with them to um, do this digital especially when you're trying to get files from like display files and share your screen um, it seems to be a challenge for people who are not used to working remotely yeah, I think we've seen that across government where you have all these teams that are, you know, I know USDA has EAS and, and a lot of different agencies, uh, USCIS, they were working together and it's just a different kind of way to collaborate. And uh, I know that's been a challenge. I don't think, I think people have overcome it, but it's been a, a little different and a little interesting. Uh, next, uh, Michael, if you want to talk a little bit about a rural development uh, administration inside of the USDA, that'd be great. Sure. Um, so uh, rural development is the USDA's bank. So uh, we provide loans and grants to uh, rural America uh, to further prosperity. And so we have a loan and grant portfolio of about 224, 225 billion. Um, we build, we, we finance everything from uh, rural broadband, which is, a, uh, which, is a, which is one of our uh, flagship projects. Uh, programs um, to uh, rural hospitals, firehouses, um, uh, police departments, um, and so we go places. We go places that commercial banks won't. Like for instance, again, in rural for rural broadband, you know, when you, when you go out, you know, um, beyond the uh, you know the urban centers, where you know populations are are spread out and sparse, you know. Companies like Comcast and and uh, you know and, and others you know uh, Verizon, they won't go out there because the subscriber base is so yeah. so limited, and so it doesn't make economic sense for them to go. But there are others that are willing to um, bring this kind of connectivity you know out to uh, those er areas, and so we finance them like uh, rural broadband co-ops and other you know sorts of uh, smaller corporations. Um, and so that's one of the areas. Uh, again, broadband's a big, um, um, big initiative. We're also um, doing our um, uh, big push to get, um, um, you know, ethanol into gas stations across the country at higher blends like E15, E25. And so we just did a software release um, uh, about a month and a half ago where um, it was a nationwide uh, lending um, application uh, that we did so that gas station owners and, and other, you know, larger corporations can, um, you know, be incentivized to bring this, you know, bring these kinds of, you know, corn-based gasolines into, you know, gas stations across the country. That was, that was a huge release. Yeah. And it, it, it just back to your work with rural broadband, boy, is, is there ever a topic more important in the United States now with people working, you know, having to do their school at home? It's, I know you guys have been doing this for, for, what is it? Has it been 10 years? I, did you do it before the, uh, was it in 2009 and the last? Yeah. 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 So the program, it's the program itself has been around for a while. Although I guess in this administration, there's been more of a, uh, more of a focus and more funding toward, you know, toward, toward rural broadband. And so, yes, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, once you, once you leave the urban populations or the urban centers, you're basically on dial-up. And this is interesting, given the, that we're the richest country in the world. Um, 
And you know, it has an effect on pretty much everything we do, especially now, um, you know, during, um, during, the, during the pandemic. Um, you know, those folks out in rural America are feeling these challenges probably more than anybody else. Um, but it doesn't get a lot of press, unfortunately. We are. I live in Winchester in the top of a mountain and I have to use a Wi-Fi. So thank you very much, Michael. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, is, is that where all, is Winchester where all the developers, I know Nick Shalon lives, uh, who had, is the chief software officer for the airports. He lives in Winchester, Winchester too. Uh, yeah, probably because yeah, it's very interesting. It's very inexpensive yeah. to live here and it's beautiful. Yep, yep. Um, I did my last webinar, I think, from the Smoky Mountains. So uh, I, I really, not to editorialize too much on this, this is, I'm from that industry. I, I used to have a career in that industry. And I really think with 5G coming, there's a lot of opportunity. You've got to get those towers up. You know, and it's getting a little better in the fact that you don't have to run fiber to everybody's house. You just need to have good cellular service, and that's a little bit cheaper. Yeah. So kudos to you for Michael and your team to try to try to broaden this out. And uh, last but certainly not least, I think I said that last time, Steve. Uh, Steve <laughs> Jones from Redgate, and he is uh, he is working a – the great thing about Steve is – not to steal all your thunder, but I really like the fact that you work across federal, but also across, um, you know, commercial side. So it'd be great to get your perspectives and what you see across federal as well as in all these different financial healthcare. Uh, sure. Thank you for coming today, Steve. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Tom. So I'm an advocate for Redgate software, which means I deal a lot with uh, customers and prospects. And so I do, um, you know, a lot of things like this. We talk with people that are looking to move to DevOps, but I also talk to existing customers that, are trying to actually implement process change and get DevOps going for the database. I've spent my whole career working with database and software as a developer building software itself. You know, I've written you know, C code that's actually gone to production environments. And I've also managed software and operations. And you know, I think I'm amazed by all the stuff that uh, software developers produce. And I've been in uh, the African History Museum a long time ago, but I've been there and the Smithsonian and some of those exhibits are absolutely incredible. But the real power is that data, that it gives us uh, the richness and all the information that's inside that database and we bring it to life with software. Unfortunately, it's also kind of this target for malicious actors, which is certainly a concern not only for government, but for the private industry as well. When I talk with a lot of customers, you know, we, we find them adopting DevOps and they believe in DevOps and they want to move to it. And often when I talk to them, we say, you know, the application is kind of like a string, right? It's infinitely moldable. I can change shape. It, it adapts to whatever I need. And then the database is like this big balloon attached to the string. And uh, it moves a little bit slower. It gets caught on these doorways and bangs into things. Uh, and it's less adaptable and less uh, flexible in what we want to do. And so companies often find it easy to move, you know, C Sharp or Java or Python to a DevOps process, but they struggle with the database because uh, we have to kind of bring this heavy balloon along and we maintain the state. We have to keep the data safe and intact. Um, and some, there's some technological challenges and then there's some cultural challenges as well. So I've spent really 10 years of uh, my career here at Redgate trying to help customers learn better ways to adapt the database and make it work just like an application. So that we treat the code the same way and we try to build uh, repeatable, reliable, less risky processes to make those database changes that uh, the application developers really need and our customers demand. So there's a number of ways we do this. When I talk with our private customers, a lot of times uh, what we try to get them to do is treat the database as a first-class citizen. So just if I have uh, an application that's running, whether it's in a kiosk or if it's on my mobile device, I want to treat the database just like that and I deploy it alongside the application. So many of the high profile companies that we see in the media that uh, talk about DevOps that are the kind of leaders, they don't talk about the database very much and it's because it's a struggle and many of these uh, companies have struggled with it as well. Uh, the better companies are finding ways to do it. And really the key is that we deploy the database separate from the application, but right alongside it. At Redgate, uh, you know, a lot of our research that we've done with customers over the years uh, we can go DB first or DB second, but we have to kind of ensure that our application works with this two versions of the database, either the previous version or the next version, which allows us to do this reliable deployment with minimal downtime. 
end, it allows us to kind of do rollbacks. But this also means for us, really, the database can't lag behind in terms of the pace of change. So a lot of times I find that I have customers that want to deploy uh, a couple times a week. That seems to be a good pace. I don't, I don't have a lot of customers that go daily or 10 times a day, but a couple times a week they will do this. And that means a database has to deploy at least once a week so that we can keep up with all of these flows. So as we try to adopt DevOps, uh, what we find is that we need to build a solution that ensures that the database developers work with the application developers hand in hand, use the similar techniques, right? Same version control, same type of automation, that kind of thing, uh, and, and make that happen. And at Redgate, we do have kind of a federal practice as well, where we are uh, bringing some of the same things that we do in the private industry to the federal level. And uh, actually at redgate.com slash federal, we have some information there that is probably of interest to this, this audience. The last thing I would just say is that uh, while we are pushing and trying to help people deploy this database, we recognize security is, is a huge issue. It is important. You know, a bug in an application software could leak some information, right? A few rows, something. But if I have a problem in the database, I could release all the data. And we've certainly seen a lot of this in the private industry and once in a while in government as well. So uh, we have to adopt this mindset that not only are we going to push code out and we're going to adapt, but we have to be ready to patch and improve things quickly, right? And so that's not just code, that's also infrastructure. Uh, we also at Redgate believe that we have to be really careful with data. So uh, we try to avoid sensitive data in non-production environments. And because Redgate is a UK company, I do a lot of work overseas with different uh, regulations, different types of compliance. And uh, the US is a little behind in that area, but certainly a lot of our customers are paying a lot of attention there because we don't want to release that data from a developer or from a QA environment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the really high profile releases and data breaches have come from non-production environments. So uh, that's a big deal for us, right? We try to ensure that that happens. Uh, for the last six months, really, most of the customers I have that are farther along in the DevOps process with the database haven't been impacted at all. Just like Raven says with her team that they can, they were used to working remotely, you know, they have the tools to, to collaborate. Um, most of the people adopting DevOps, they have automation set up. We have the auditing and the permissions built into the system. And so they've really not missed a beat in terms of their development. Business is another story, but uh, for development and DevOps, it's been a great six months. And uh, if I could follow up with that, because this is near and dear to my heart, I, I've operated field forces in the U.S. and around the world. Um, on field data collection, I'm out in the work. I think that the federal government has relied on, oh, I'll just go on the, on the web as I'm doing my field data collection. But unfortunately, a lot of the field data collection happens to be in remote areas, right? you know, beyond Winchester even, believe it or not. No, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, <laughs> I'm checking out distant farms. I'm, I'm, you know, at work for the de Department of the Interior. I'm in the basement of the 14th and Independence USDA building. There's like all kinds of places where you're kind of in and you're out. And, uh, you know, I, I think having like a tactical, and I remember the military, it's like, I, I need a version of my database out in the field and has to sync. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that challenge and the opportunity there as far as as far as sure, the data sure. uh, I can appreciate those challenges because uh, uh, I appreciate what Michael's doing as well. I actually live on a horse ranch outside of uh, Denver area. So uh, there we, when I call Comcast, uh, they laugh. There's like, there's no, there's nothing coming to you. I actually have exactly. microwave access. So I'm, you know, exactly. I really the challenge. One of the big things that I preach, you know, we've, we've tried to do some data virtualization so that we can share copies of the database for developers so that they can see the same data and they have that basis of foundation. But one of my big preaches is that the, the best investment hands down you can make uh, in your development cycle is have a curated set of test data. Uh, I think it's good to have a very small set for developers so that it's representative of the problem domain I'm trying to solve. Uh, but it's not so huge that it's unwieldy, right? So if I am working remotely, uh, I don't deal with terabytes of data, I deal with gigabytes of data, but I see the same data as everybody else so that when we build and test and we collaborate, we always see the same thing. Uh, and then at some point we do need a full size production level of data so that we can catch edge cases and we can verify performance and all of the challenges that we face as software developers. Uh, so I'm often preaching to 
our customers, we have to build that curated set of data. One of our big customers in Europe is a health club chain and they have, uh, they, they're in multiple countries and they deal with about 35 languages. Uh, and they, their database was about one to two terabytes of production. And they spent about a year while development was ongoing, so they don't interrupt development, but slowly kind of pulling out the representative cases of data in each language. And they built about a two to three gigabyte data set. And that's what all developers use. That's what all automated systems use. And they use that to validate their software. And then obviously there is a large full scale copy of production that they use for performance and final validation before it goes to uh, production. But that, that, the agility that comes with having a curated test data set is incredible. It's just amazing. Great answer. Thank you. Um, my first question is, it's like kind of a two-parter. Uh, so what are the challenges that came forth to your agency due to COVID-19 and what opportunities have arisen out of that? Um, out of that? I mean, it, it's like one of these few things that just kind of happened overnight almost, you know, we, everybody was on a weekend and next thing you know, we're all working from, from home um, and touch on a management of it. Um, and, and, you know, all the different issues that come up and, you know, maybe, maybe going forward, what is, what does the organization look like? That's going to be a little different. What's going to stick. And, and if we can start with you, Raven, that'd be great. I know you talked about a little bit, but if you could add some, some detail. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So uh, on the visitor side, um, which is the one that's most impactful is the interactives. Um, and we, we will be opening up. We are, we just went into phase two. So that means that the museum is going to be opening up shortly. Um, there's no date, but it'll be opening up shortly. He says yes, but <laughs> it's still a scary proposition. Um, that means, and some of the, um, ex not the exhibitions, but the interactives and some of the exhibitions won't be open. Um, some of the exhibitions are in very small spaces, and so it's not possible to do social distancing. So that's, uh, that means that there's a whole plethora of information that visitors won't have access to. Um, right now, for me, with the interactives and moving them to the web, that's great. But having people come in and play with them, um, it's still an opportunity. The, the greatest opportunity for me is to be able to play with other um, technologies, right? Um, I think I'm, I mentioned to you once about using, um, having somebody use their mobile device and going up to an interactive and using like a QR code or some type of code with their mobile device. And then having like two or three other people in them interacting like that, almost like a Pokemon bowl, right? Like China doing the same thing um, where you're interacting with each other through your devices. Um, that's a permanent change. Um, having the interactives not be t you, not to touch them. That's that's actually if you think about it, it's like every interactive we have in the museum and the Smithsonian has to change um, because most of them you have to be able to press or touch or manipulate um, the Discovery Center for children. Um, they may not be able to do that. Then how do you handle children um, not being able to touch and manipulate and make? Um, things. I think uh, American, it's either American history or natural history has actually both of them have something like that. So it's been a very big change for the, it'll be a big change for the visitor. And from a DevOps perspective, my, what I'm trying to do with my strategy is develop the strategy that will allow us to produce applications, whether we don't produce a lot of internal applications um, for, for operations, but for like outgoing ones, they're all snowflakes. Everyone has to be different because they have to be exciting. They have to be fun. They're entertaining, but they're, you're also learning. Um, but we have to have a measured, consistent way of improving the way that gets done. Um, but I can't really put in too much prescription into the whole process because they're all different, right? It's really, um, it's challenging, but I, for me, it's fun. Like it's fun that that challenge is fun to find how to how to resolve it. It's coming through across the Zoom. I could tell it's fun for you. It's like, <laughs> what if we didn't have DevOps? What if we had waterfall on this kind of thing? You would never know you. The museum would stay closed forever. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At least <Yep>. for me, <laughs> I'll be doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, Michael? Yeah. 
Sure. Um, I think for us early on, um, there were, you know, sort of technical challenges, right? I mean, you know, you know, at one point we had, you know, a small subset of the population using, you know, using the VPN infrastructure and then suddenly everybody was using it at once. And so, you know, we had connectivity issues for, you know, probably about a month, month and a half. And then I think that was, uh, there was capacity added, there was, you know, optimization and that kind of, that connecti those connectivity issues kind of leveled out. Um, but the work didn't stop regardless of whether or not you could connect <laughs> um, because, you know, we had, we had, you know, software releases and, you know, we had um, like, you know, five um, development trains sort of happening semi-simultaneously and, you know, two major releases, you know, for two of those development trains and, and um, you know, and at the same time, we're rolling out a, um, um, you know, a new uh, DevSecOps tool chain and trying to make sure that everybody can um, use that well. We sort of standardized on the Atlassian suite. So there's a JIRA ticket for everything. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was all kind of happening at once. And, and um, I think what we found is that, you know, people were working all the time. And, you know, and that's, and that's been a challenge. I mean, I know I was, and I know my team was, and, and, you know, we don't have, you know, in-house development, all of our development is via contract. And so our contractors, you know, thank goodness, we restructured our contracts some time ago um, so that they could either, you know, work, you know, on their customer sites or, or their client sites or from home. And that didn't, you know, that didn't necessarily disrupt procurement. Um, but, you know, with all the work that was going on during this period, everybody was working, um, you know, kind of all the time. And I think the lesson learned from all that is a lesson I'm, you know, learning, you know, as the deputy CIO, you know, who's kind of, you know, in charge of managing all of this stuff is that um, people have to take breaks, you know, <laughs> um, especially, you know, for my, for my federal employees, right, you know, encouraging them to take their time off. For that matter, being, a, being the example and encouraging myself to take time off. Um, you know, that's sort of one thing we're learning because, you know, it is, it's, it's easy in this environment to get burnt out. Um, you know, it's easy to, um, to blur the boundaries between home and, and, and work so much that it is disruptive to your home life. Uh, it, that's easy to do. And so, again, I think the, I think the thing that we, we've learned more than anything else is there's got to be some separation here. There's got to be a break. You know, there's got to be a time where, you know, you, ju you just don't log on. Now, that's, you know, coming from, you know, coming from a, an environment where, you know, productivity is the, uh, um, you know, is, is, is the watchword. You know, productivity, you know, equals busyness. And business equals, you know, um, product getting out the door. It's it, it's hard to kind of shift that mindset, but you have to. Otherwise, you'll have you know lots of disgruntled employees and a lot of dissatisfaction, um, and and you know and, and your product won't get out the door at the end of the day. Um, so I think that's the thing we're learning. Heck, I'm learning that here at ATARC. It, it's like I you. Know, you're just on zoom all day long. It, it, it is before, you know, I used to complain about going in DC and entering the building and stuff, but at least I wasn't on a zoom call. Like now it's like, I'm just too efficient. I, I'm stacked and stacked and stacked. And I can definitely see the burn, the burnout going. If you don't watch yourself, cause you, your brain can only process so much for so long. Um, good, good points there. And uh, Steve, if you want to add anything to this. Sure. You know, I'll say I, I have a different perspective just because I work for a, a European company and they tend to balance life a little bit more. You know, we like we can't carry a lot of vacation over. They really require us to balance out through the year. As a matter of fact, we have to get 60 percent of our holiday in by the end of this month. So uh, I've got about four or five days. I've got to figure out how to how to take You're out even of my calling schedule. It holiday. That's how European you are. You're yeah, calling exactly. holiday. <laughs> well, I go over there so much. I've gotten used to it. But I, I will you know, echo some of the Michael thing that the the biggest change, I think, across the last six months is cultural that we find management uh, in, in all of our clients uh, starts to really believe that we can work remotely and we can collaborate. Right. Not without challenges, certainly. But. Uh, that's a bigger deal. 
and uh, we are learning to be a little more respectful of people's lives just because many people have children or they have uh, parents they have to care for. And so there's this challenge of, uh, you know, we all have to work in the same house, right? Kids are in school, you know, Michael's in the basement, right? <laughs> you know, my son is a fifth grade teacher. So he was in a dining room while I was here and, and all these things. Uh, but, you know, the more that we've, we've found people learn to work in a DevOps fashion, which is not just the tooling, it's the collaboration piece. Um, and yeah. it isn't, you know, the fact that somebody can sit next to me and we could look at the same screen, but we learn to use the tooling we have. So we, we adopt version control. So we all see the same version of the code and we know what we're talking about and we have independent validation with tooling. It helps us to uh, do things in a way when we can't be in the same physical building. Uh, I think most of us miss that, <laughs> at least part-time. Uh, I think for a lot of my customers and clients, they're never going to go back to the way it was, especially in the commercial world, because people are abandoning leases left and right, uh, going, I don't need to put 1,000 people in a building. Uh, maybe I'll put 400 at a time, but uh, I need a smaller space. And so I think we've learned a lot culturally that uh, the way that we work maybe could be better at the same time, we do want to get back to some of that uh, in-person human collaboration. Um, you know, I know my kids are in college and they miss it tremendously not be able to uh, get into a room. I, I yeah. think, Tom, just to add to the conversation, that um, one of the things that I'm interested to find out is whether the really fun things that were implemented um, will actually stay. So for the Smithsonian, they introduced a um, random act of coffee is what it's called, random act of coffees, where they had everybody in the Smithsonian, no matter what your unit was, um, send your name to the um, deputy and she, or that group of the fun people, and they took four people from various units and they put you together, sent you an email and said, here's your coffee clutch and you guys meet when you feel like meeting and at least once and um, talk about whatever you wanted to. And my random act of coffee group, we still meet. And it is amazing because I thought I had the best job ever, um, ever. The, there was nobody in the world that was gonna tell me their job was better. Um, and I found out that these three other people think they have the best job ever. Yeah. Well, I so, have the best job, actually. But. Uh, actually, <laughs> you don't. Um, but it's okay if you think you do. Actually, I'm, I'm a little bit more lenient now. I'm like, okay, somebody, other people can have really great jobs. It's amazing. But those type of things, right? Um, we have more um, all staff meetings now, um, virtually. We have more um, meet. Um, there's a coffee hour for the NAMAC, we, N-M-A-A-H-C, we're not supposed to say NAMAC. Um, we meet like um, a senior executive, right? So during the coffee hour or, or noon, um, a bunch of people sign up and then you talk about anything except for work. You can talk about like what you're doing, what you're eating, like all those are really great things, right? And I'm hoping that they stay, like even when we get back, like that we don't all of a sudden abandon Zoom or this type of um, interaction. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I really think that uh, one thing that I really think that I was like on a conference call, I'm barely half paying attention. You basically got half of me because I'm just multitasking. At least with this, it, it's not as good as being in person, but it's a lot better than being on a conference call and you can make some connections. But I think I agree with all of you. We need, we need in-person, uh, but it'll be a nice mix going forward. You know, even if you do a Zoom, it's not getting that body language, watching people, getting to know them. You're going to reveal yourself a lot more when you're on the, on the video. And uh, I think that's one, one good thing that came out of this pandemic, if there is such a thing. But I think that hopefully it'll change the way we work. Uh, I want to go to Alyssa, if you don't mind. Alyssa works with me at, at HR. Can we put up some poll questions and I see we've gotten, we're starting to get some Q and A coming in, which is fantastic. Please get your questions ready after this poll um, and we'll, we'll dive into them. So very general question, how satisfied were you with your agency switch to remote working response to COVID-19? And what is the biggest challenge your agency faced when switching to remote work? Productivity, collaboration, communication. We'll just take a second and uh, see what we come up with, and then we'll have our panel comment on it. Was there anything surprising or not? Yeah. Um, Alyssa, I th think we can call this right now. Let's see what we got. 
Hmm. It's interesting. Well, we were, yeah, isn't it, isn't it that interesting? I think, uh, that's actually probably pretty good. I think the agencies overall, you know, I think that's, that's pretty high, high marks. Yeah. Um, I mean, a third say very satisfied. That's quite impressive. That is impressive. It's really discouraging yeah. to see that collaboration was a challenge <laughs> when you have to work remote. That's, <laughs> that's like the, uh, that, that, that's good. I think it is. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen that in a lot of customers that it is a challenge if you didn't do it right, because uh -huh. only 5% say they worked remote. So that's an interesting number. Wow. Yeah. And the lack of tech support, I think that's a fantastic thing. That speaks to how well the government agencies are doing, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. And this yeah, isn't, you know, this isn't our first, first one. Go ahead, Michael. No, I was just agreeing with that. I mean, you know, we've had, our, again, we've had our challenges early on, but I think it's pretty smoothed out at this point. Um, you know, we're yeah. getting connected. We're getting, you know, laptops and things. So it's, it's going well. Do you think that yeah. the communication yeah, was better? Like um, just because COVID, um, COVID was an opportunity for agencies to communicate uh, better and clear clearly with everyone to avoid panic because of the way the whole situation was, and because of that, that's why you have about what um, seventy five percent satisfied, very satisfied with the switch to remote because there was already this nice line of communication. I mean, I think there's probably some of that, that uh, a lot of us are used to making phone calls, right, or sending emails at this point in, in the history. So we're used to it. Um, but I, I do think that what we ended up with was a very concentrated communication so that we work with our team or the people that we're used uh -huh. to working with. And what we've lost is the ability to collaborate outside of that. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that, so I think over the long term, this will be a problem. But in the short term, we're more productive because we're focused on just our groups. Well, I think it really, this COVID thing is a galvanized, it was a galvanizing effort. Everybody's <laughs> going through it. It's like, you got to take it to the limit. And there's definitely, you needed to have it done that second. I mean, a lot of these plans that went into place, they were, they were sort of shovel ready. You know, you, you could increase the number of VPN connections. You can, you can do all that. I, I've never seen anything since I've been around that is the government's reacted so well and so fast. Uh, I, I mean, we've seen heroic efforts and uh, you know, it, it, I think overall the government has, has done a pretty good job getting their people up and going, getting them all remote and uh, you know, everybody hasn't lost internet. So that speaks to our carrier friends that have done a good job and uh, just zoom hat was at the right place at the right time team stepped it up, you know, it's, it's, it's all the, all the above. It, I think it's something we'll look back on and say, why don't we have more galvanizing efforts without it being forced upon us? Um, yeah, great. I mean, I Let's do it. Go ahead. So Thomas, yeah, one thing that I think that, you know, one of the things we've seen in dealing with the federal government too, is that there's a lot more excitement to discuss agile work styles, DevOps, remote collaboration, that kind of thing. So I think a lot of us were ready to do that. And, you know, there was this, uh, certainly the technology people, we, we knew we could do it, work remotely. And we didn't have a lot of, I think, upper management buy-in or acceptance that it was possible that that would work well. And so uh, I think this has been maybe more of a learning experience for the upper management than it has been for many of us. Uh, and, and that may be some of the satisfaction that we all get to work remote and, you know, we get to use the tools that we think are cool, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, I think this environment proves that, you know, that this, you know, whole idea of Agile and DevOps, you know, wasn't just, you know, smoke, right? I mean, you know, if, if you've been in this industry, if you've been in software development long enough, I've been in it almost 30 years, you know, you know that these methodologies and these, you know, these, these ways of doing things kind of come and go. You know, uh, Gardner calls it the hype cycle, right? And yeah. so, you know, uh, uh, but having said that, having said that, you know, what the pandemic I think has, has, has proven is that some of this hype is actually real and it does actually produce results. And, you know, to the extent that we are, you know, better understanding how to do agile and DevOps and how to collaborate with each other, 
you know, a, a lot of the, you know, the dogma centered around, you know, these, these topics kind of get boils away and you get down to the real. How do you actually do program increments? What do you actually, you know, in a, in, especially in a federal environment, what does that mean to contracts? You know, when you're, when you're remote and you're collaborating and you're trying to get product out the door, you have to answer these questions. It's not just, you know, what gets taught, you know, in safe classes or in agile classes. It's what actually happens on the ground. <laughs> and that's the real. Uh, I think, uh, well, that's, that's, you, put, you put that very well. Uh, let's go, uh, we have one question. Let me see if I can summarize it. I don't know if you all can see it. Uh, databases and languages interact with them, SQL or broad in scope. There are language constructs around code, stored procedures, views, security, data definition, data manipulation. When you're talking about database DevOps, are you talking about accepting scripts that encompass all or a limited scope of these constructs and how do you determine what is acceptable? That's kind of like the, the question. Can we kind of dive sure. into database DevOps and go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm happy to start and then I'd be curious what uh, Raven and Michael think, but you know, from my perspective, uh, what I really want to do is I want to kind of accept everything that needs to be deployed to a live environment. So this could be certainly code changes. It could be security type things. Uh, we certainly deal with things like uh, row level type security or encryption, cryptographic constructs, as well as configuration of the environment. And so typically we want to accept everything and then run it through a process because, uh, you know, as Michael said, when we get into the real world, it, it isn't easy. We don't always have the happy path. We have complex things. And so we want to try to push them all into a similar method that we ensure that it's, it's consistent, it's deployed appropriately. We don't connect to the wrong database. Uh, we do all the things that we need to do. Uh, I often recommend, recommend uh, two levels of, of taking scripts and sending them through. So one for developers, because there is application level stuff we want to do, but there are sensitive items. So when I deal with cryptographic objects, I can't have developers having the same cryptographic keys that exist in production. So a lot of times we use privilege access to push those things through separately or to uh, have those auto generated in a production environment. You know, for a lot of our private clients, we are stopping access to production for most people. Like they have to drop it into an automated process that will do all the deployments and return results just to limit the chance of security errors. So I'm curious, you know, for Raven and Michael, how do you feel about those types of things? I think you actually got it, Steve. Um, for us, it wasn't, it's really not about the database, although one stickler is the configurations for the applications. And that's really a challenge to um, move with, for automated processes because of the way the configurations are. But mostly from DevOps, it's such a, I'm gonna use the word sterile, but I don't really mean it in that way. It's um, abstract from the constructs, the languages, the database. It's really just the process. You treat it exactly like you do for anything else. It's, it's only the process that DevOps brings to the table to help get it from one place to the other. Uh, Michael, what about you? No, I agree with that. Um, but I would also add that, uh, I guess in my environment, you know, um, as I'm sure many federal agencies, or if not most, you know, I've got really, really old systems. And when I say legacy yeah. systems, I'm talking 25, 30 year old systems, you know, that are running in COBOL on the mainframe. Uh, matter of fact, I've got, you know, uh, eight or nine of those, <laughs> eight or nine major systems that, you know, they're running on COBOL on the mainframe. And so, you know, when things I would love to do with regard to, um, um, you know, uh, database DevOps, I would love for us to get away from stored procedures. I would love to make I would love to make the database code clean, right? You know, I would love to be able to, um, 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 you know, realize that data in you know, realize that data through you know through through microservices. We're doing a lot of that, you know, moving toward you know moving toward there. But again, really old systems. Uh, it takes time. You know, you got to traverse the entire portfolio to understand where those you know those, those data services are and make them, you know, sort of available um, so you can do, you know, sort of complex service composition later on. Um, that's, you know, that's a challenge. Um, then, and then of course, there is our, um, 
you know, there's our newer deployments. So we've got, you know, Salesforce deployments. I mentioned before, we got two major deployments. They're both Salesforce. Salesforce is its own set of data, it's its own data structures, it's its own database. And how, and how do you make the decision of where the, you know, the, the, um, the, you know, the database of record or the data source of record is? You know, should it be in Salesforce? Are you gonna be locked into Salesforce forever? Or should it be, you know, on premises? All those choices we're trying to figure out how to make now, and you know, trying to move where we have gotten great success in, you know, in agile and DevOps and our, our application space. How to bring along the, you know, our data sources, you know, along in that same sort of, you know, um, processes and efficiencies. That's been a challenge for a lot of the reasons that Steve just said, you know, it's, you know, when you deal with older technologies, it is, it is difficult to, uh, you know, I've got, I've got databases that are on IMS and DB2 on the mainframe. Yeah, I know. Steve's laughing. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, know, yeah. And, uh, you know, those are big challenges, right? And there's no easy answer. And that's why as Raven said, DevOps isn't, we do it this way, it's that we kind of adapt the process to what we need, right? And I often, you know, I tell people with databases, there's no magic here. What right. we try to do is we try to put some process around what you would normally do manually. Like if I have to update yeah. DB2, you know, on the mainframe on AS400, um, all I want to do is make sure it happens in a repeatable fashion so that it's automated yeah. and we know how it's going to happen. I'm not trying to tell you how to do it. Let's take your right. brains and figure out what to do and then let's put process on that. It's one of the challenges too that sometimes you don't own the systems that you're interfacing with, and somebody else owns them and doesn't want you to touch them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like somebody owns the mainframe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. Um, or in our case, you know, we, true enough, we do own our mainframes and things. But in our case, since we're a bank, we have to deal with you know data that's far outside of rule development. You know, we deal with credit bureaus and, you know, um, Social Security Administration and, and, and others. So, you know, think about what goes into a loan application, you know, because we not only do we, you know, finance firehouses and, and broadband and, 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 and hospitals, but we do single family, you know, housing, you know, mortgages. We are actually the bank for people's houses in rural, in rural America, right? And so think about, you know, when you bought a house, and that stack of paperwork that you had to ultimately fill out, sign, you know, get notarized, all of those, that entire process. Think about, think about how to do a rocket mortgage style, you know, loan with the federal government. Un un unravel that in your mind there for a minute and how, and how many external systems you'd have to touch in order to make that work. We have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, big, 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 big challenge. And that's not, that's going to take a little time to work through all those things. Uh, I think we're getting ready for another poll. Uh, can we do poll three? Because we were talking about digital transformation. Would that be okay? Alyssa, can we skip or not? If we can't, who cares? We'll do good poll two. Where is your, where do you feel your agency is in a process of digital transformation? And I got slapped because we closed it too early. So a friend of mine, uh, you know, his, I won't mention or I don't mention names, but, you know, prior military. So we got to like leave it up just a fraction longer. So everybody has a chance to answer it. Uh, I wish we were thinking about it. That's pretty funny. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's go see, see what we have. All right. That's good. That's the, the joke ones got filtered out quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are jokes? <laughs> they're sort of a joke, but yeah. I, mean, uh, I think this is what we see in the private world for the most part, right? We're all kind of thinking about it mostly for cost reasons or resource constraints, but uh, right. it's nice to see the federal government's moving too. I'm interested in um, what does that mean that we have transformed? I mean, really isn't the process a process? It's like, um, present perfect like you have to keep going and you have it's continuous um you haven't maybe the quotes have us covered a little bit i mean maybe okay. uh the quotes have a cover we're transformed we've done some nice things but you're right it's never over when did you ever think that we we're going to have pandemic and people aren't going to allow to touch anything i mean you, you're not done transforming 
good, yeah. good, good. Uh, Which is really left interesting. Those that, that have been transformed. We got a comment. Yeah. That's funny. That's cool. The Smithsonian's great, great. Um, vision is actually um, to be digital, um, and our museum is going for is digital first. It's actually one of our museum is a digital first museum amongst all of the Smithsonian's because we're so new. Yeah. You guys make me laugh when you talk about legacy because our legacy systems are like three years old. <laughs> That's three legacy. years old. That's right. <laughs> That's the old. Okay. Is like three years old. <laughs> Uh, Michael's got systems graduated from college and uh, graduate school. <laughs> exactly. I've got uh, I've got employees on my staff that are younger than the systems that I got in production. <laughs> Serious. That's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Okay, we're gonna go to the last poll one because it is actually pretty good. I'm gonna go with the last poll question and then we'll comment and wrap things up. Go ahead, Alyssa. Where do you still see room for digital transformation within federal DevOps and federal IT as a whole? And then we always have to ask about culture. How has the cultural changes happened in the federal DevOps space affected your agency since COVID-19? Okay, uh, I think, give a little yeah, extra time. Tom, the culture one is great because we, we were talking about that recently that, you know, culture is something that we kind of, uh, we assimilate and we share with each other over time. And while we are working closely with our groups and stuff, I think we have the chance to lose this culture because we can't put 50 people on a Zoom meeting easily, but we could put 50 people in a room, right? And we could build culture that way. And so I worry about that over time. I'm curious how people feel about it now and how they might feel in a year. Well, hopefully you'd have a little bit of a hybrid model. You know, maybe there's some people yeah. in the office and then, uh, then the people on the conference call in that situation, they're like second class citizens right. because they don't know what's going on. They can't tell what's going on. Nobody's taking them as seriously. And maybe this can kind of maybe bridge that gap. I look at a, at a hybrid type of environment where uh, I think where we might see it. So anyway, what do we got, Alyssa, on our final poll of the day? That's interesting. It is. Yeah. You guys are an interesting crowd, if nothing else, yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, automation. Uh, it, it, I like breaking down organizational silos. I was surprised that's number one. I mean, maybe it should be, but it's it's people are realizing it. Um, I bet you some of that's happened, and they like it, and they want it to keep moving, right? I think that's yeah. probably. I was talking to somebody at um, USPTO, we were talking about this, this is a really interesting one, this organizational silo, because it also has to do with the hierarchy and the organizational, the actual organizational structure. And it's not really easy to break down the silo if your structure is um, challenging that breakdown. Right. If you right. if you're not structured in a way, um, I did a podcast with our um, CIO for OCIO, and that was one of the things that he stated that he is the reason why our CIO, our um, enterprise IT is is um, the way it is. He puts all of, like the database people with developers with application with um, with the system admins just because if you separate them and make them their own group one like you said steve you start talking to your core group that's who right. you talk to um and then even if you are um if you have like a matrix organization you still have introduced like this virtual silo because you know now don't even yeah. talk to the people it's just a different silo it is <laughs> yeah yeah I, and i'll say tom from the private side uh, this is the number one problem in most of our customers and clients that i deal with is uh, even though they adopt DevOps, they, they end up, as Raven said, we, we kind of grow the silos slightly differently, but we still don't quite have um, a true collaboration amongst everybody. It's still a bit of a silo yeah. challenge. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, I'm sorry. The only thing ahead, I'd, I'd probably add to that is um, I think that your communications have to be really deliberate. Um, you know, it, it, you know, and really cross, you know, really cross functional, really cross organizational. Um, and, but I agree, I mean, you know, but if they're not, you know, that deliberate, it is, it, there is a tendency to just talk to the people you work with, you know, directly and, and, and this and, and continue in, in sort of that vein. But if you're not, you know, deliberate about, you know, your communications and 
um, and and the folks you want to reach, then yeah, I think I think that will just you know grow into a larger challenge. I agree. Do you think it's harder for larger organizations to do that to um, to be able to think that way, to to think more fluidly, to be able to accept that it doesn't have to be hierarchical? I mean, because I think mm -hmm. I feel that is the problem. It's the it's this this need to have a hierarchy. Well, I think in the I think in the government I think in the government that's it, it's you know the organizational you know org charts org charts mean something in the federal government unfortunately, and so you know you know and and it's difficult to get away from you know the you know the names and the boxes and the lines on the org chart, um, but you can to a certain extent, especially inside of IT where it's sort of inherently more collaborative. You know, you can, you know, you can organize and, and create a matrix organization whereby, you know, um, product managers kind of, you know, own, you know, products and they talk across, um, um, you know, functional lines and that sort of thing. Uh, but again, I think in the federal government, it's kind of difficult to get away from, you know, the, the meaning of an org chart, whereas in the private sector, it's probably easier. So... Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no comment from Steve. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's a challenge uh, everywhere. Once you draw a line, it's there. <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, I think it actually makes DevOps and um, adopting DevOps harder. It just adds an unnecessary um, blocker for it. It's, it's not really needed. Yeah. That, Alyssa, can you stick that second question to the poll? I thought that was one of the most interesting responses I've seen since we've been doing this. And I think we've done about 20 webinars and had like two or three poll questions each. But I, it was really, how did the COVID-19 affect the DevOps community? I don't have it in front of me right now, but it was overwhelmingly, look, I mean, look at this. Um, positively 43%, somewhat positively 43%, 10% neither positive nor negative, somewhat negative 3%. Is, is this is that, because Fed? No more commutes. Is that it? Does that the uh, is it what? <laughs> no more commutes. Yes, is that that's the why. That is, that is it. No more. I, no more I'm, red line. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. Uh, I, I will tell you that uh, you know having to you know having to get on the toll road and drive to uh, the DC every day exactly. Uh, um, you know has been a welcome change. Uh, Exactly. Well, is this been a Fed Dev? Is this been a federal DevSecOps thing, or is it just, you know, is this because you're developers? You know, you run development organizations. Mm -hmm. Is it different for developers? Would it would would it would would it be skewed a little bit if it was something else? Because or you're already used to working on your own, and 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 uh, just because of the culture, or is this a? If I asked a general federal IT, would I get different results? I don't think I'd get something this profound, and uh, yeah, negatively maybe. zero. Yeah, maybe. I'd be curious, Tom, next time you do this, you should ask maybe some choices about why they think culture is better, or maybe if they think that this has kind of kick-started the organization into more of a, you know, future-looking way, you know, that they're adopting technologies yeah. they wanted to adopt because they have to. Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe we had the follow-up poll. Maybe we had the poll, the first thing about the culture – Sorry, sorry, the audience. We're working on the next webinar already. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. We're, we're, thank you. You're just watching the sausage being made here at ATARG. Uh, so we're getting to the bottom of the hour. I, I would, and uh, we will put a plug. Raven in, is on our, uh, our, our, Dev, our DevOps working group, and a lot of good work is being done there. So we encourage you, and um, we'll send out some information about it. But that's you know, it, it's great to have an event and we, it continues the conversation, but, but these folks are, are meeting and coming up with guidance and uh, a lot of good work there. And we'll, we'll save that for another day, but a lot of good stuff there. And we'll send that out on, on our outtakes, but uh, just closing comments, maybe Raven, Michael and Steve, if, if there anything else we didn't cover or, or, you know, where, where are we looking to go here in 2021, you know, when things settle down a little bit, hopefully. If you don't mind, Raven. Everybody, we want everybody to have a shot at this. 
not a problem. I think the post, I don't even know if there's such a thing as post COVID, like what, first we have to define what post COVID actually means. Um, but mm -hmm. when that happens or that event happens, we are not going to, we're inherently changed. We are totally different. And DevOps has taken us, is in that space to move right along with it. And it has, and the pandemic and everything that has been happening to facilitate it, as horrible as it has been, has really um, allowed it to bloom. The, I think that that last poll that we looked at, the positively, is because there might have been, like you said, um, Tom, people who really wanted to move forward with different technologies and did not get an opportunity to. And now that opportunity happened and it was forced on the people who were allowing it to happen. So people had to change. And so change wasn't that bad. It, it came out to be good. Um, for us, for at the museum, again, I'm really excited to see how we meet that challenge of exciting you guys, visitors to the museum and getting you to interact in a contactless way. I'm really excited to see how we're going to handle those small spaces where the space is meant to be small um, because it was trying to give you, because everything in the museum is meant to give emote, give you an emotion. Um, and by having an emotion or having a feeling and getting you to adopt that into your heart, it's great. Now we have to do certain things that are different to get you to have that emotion. I'm excited. To, to me, it's just 2021 is exciting. Um, even right now is exciting because we're going downhill, hopefully. Yeah. I think we should have an offsite DevOps meeting after pandemic is we're kind of through that. We will go and see all this in person and you yes. can get us on a good field trip. I would love to love to see that. You know where I hang out, and, please. Yeah, I know where you <laughs> hang out. Michael? Yeah, so I guess a couple of things. One is if there was any, and I think you alluded to it earlier, Tom. I mean, if there was any uh, upside to this pandemic, it is, I think, in two sort of major areas, in my humble opinion. One is that you know, we as a species have been concentrated on solving this problem in a way that I don't think has really happened before in human history. I mean, you know, everybody who, every country that can afford it has been working on a vaccine, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, the very fact that that kind of collaboration across countries, across, yeah. you know, across nationalities, across, uh, across corporations, you know, all working toward, you know, a single purpose. I think that that kind of thing has, has, has rubbed off on sort of the rest of us. We're in a space where, you know, because we're at home and we're kind of working on solving our own problems, you know, we're sort of more focused and more dedicated and, and you know, and that true has translated into longer working hours. That true has translated into, um, you know, um, time away from family. Um, and we do have to figure out how to balance that. But the very fact that, you know, we're as focused as we are on solving our individual problems, I think is a good thing and I don't think should change as far as, um, as, far as the Department of Agriculture and Rural Development is concerned. You know, the challenges continue. I mean, you know, in, and I'm not talking about the technological ones. I'm talking about the ones that we are ultimately trying to, you know, support with the use of technology, like, again, broadband and rural America, um, you know, um, fostering, you know, rural prosperity, you know, you know, building a hospital and keeping it running, you know, in, um, you know, in, in parts of rural America where, you know, hospitals are failing. That continues, that is a challenge that, that, that continues and unfortunately will continue, you know, past you know, um, you know, wherever we, however we define whatever post-COVID is. Um, um, and so, you know, the work continues. And I just hope that our dedication to solve these problems, you know, at this level continues as well, because yeah. if it does, I think we can solve these problems. Yeah, I, I can't even, yes, I agree with everything. And I, I want to, we were working with our 5G working group. I would love to do some kind of pilot for that remote use case that you guys are talking about. I think that would be just fantastic. And Steve, you yeah, get the final so word. We're should, already sure. got I think more, I'll, but, I'll go yeah. on with what Michael said. Like, I think, uh, you know, I've had 
plenty of contact with the federal government and Redgate. We work with them. You guys out there in agencies and ladies, you do some fantastic work. You really, you really touch and help people. And so, you know, I'm glad that this COVID thing has kind of kickstarted the government into, we have to continue to work no matter what. And so DevOps is a way of doing that, right? That we, we regularly improve what we do, whether that's the quality of software or the features we're testing or something else. And we just want to keep that moving forward over time. You know, at Redgate, we're very community focused. We try to put out a lot of information about the database side of things because that's our focus, you know, and so redgate.com plus federal, we'd love to, you know, give you information and help you learn about it. Of course, we'd love for you to use our software, but really we'd like you to just do a better job and improve the work that you're doing. And, you know, as Michael said, accomplish those goals that touch people and make the world better for people here in America. So uh, I look forward to what you'll do in 2021. Thank you very much, Raven, Michael, and Steve. And thank you for the audience for hanging tough with us. We went a little overtime on you, but I hopefully it was worth it. Um, thank you very much. And we will, the next thing we have, we're actually taking a break next week. And uh, by the way, everybody have a nice long holiday. And Michael, oh, no more 2 a.m. emails in the morning to your staff or anything. We got to like <laughs> calm, calm things down a little bit. They're, they're going to labor day. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> we, Yep, we've got uh, in this this broadcast. Uh, if your co- if, if a colleague couldn't make it, we we have the ability to download it. We're also it's in our podcast network, which is actually going fantastic. So some people actually like to listen to things like this while they're working out, and uh, I tend to do that myself. Uh, we have our next big event is the SkyTech Emerging Technology Virtual Awards. Uh, of course, SkyTech got is our big in-person event that we do in May. It's kind of like our Super Bowl here at ATARC. Of course, the Super Bowl has been canceled twice. So we decided, and we think we came up with a pretty good idea anyway, it's hard to honor all the awardees at the event. Uh, there's so much going on. So we're really excited uh, to look at all the nominees and uh, find out what they were doing. And then at the very end, we have the Academy Awards. They win their award. But we want to give everybody the opportunity to talk about their work. Sometimes you don't get an opportunity to talk about it. You know they won the award or they were the runner-up or whatever, and they did some really good work. So we're going to have kind of like little talks, like uh, seven-minute talks, just to talk about what they were nominated for and the work that they did and so they can, they can uh, honor their teams and talk about the cool things that they did. So it's going to be lightning fast. Um, I think we probably have like 50 speakers at this thing and it's going to be real, real exciting. Something you can do during the middle of the day while you're um, grabbing lunch. Um, so we're really excited and it'll be from 10 to 10 to two um, probably end a little earlier, but you know how the Academy Awards are, they tend to go long. So we wanted to, wanted to cover that for you, but uh, real excited about that. And uh, that's all I have. And we will catch you in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much for your time. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.